Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast, where we cultivate greater insight and artfulness to our ever-evolving humanity. I talk with everyday people dealing with everyday challenges using timeless wisdom and knowledge through the lens of a regular meditation practice. In this podcast, we explore the nuances of the ever-increasing demand to change and how we can meet our condition and transmute it so that we can reveal ever more deeply our true nature. So this question is about unconditional compassion, love, acceptance. And something that I personally struggle with sometimes is holding the darker parts of our world. So things like people that hurt other people, that have done bad things, um, that hurt our environment, like, you know, terrorists, rapists, people that are abusive with animals, things like that. And in a way that I understand it, if you evolved enough, you can even love that. So I wonder how can we get to that point where we all inclusive of yeah duality and the very much dark sides of our existence yeah for me to be truly compassionate required me to be deeply honest and to see myself in that which I was judging and that's what I do I go well I a part of me is in you whoever it is that I might be judging because there's only one thing right we're all, we're all it this is ba- this this response is based on that fundamental premise of reality is that there is only one thing in the universe and if there's only one thing in the universe then we're all it just expressed as you know, in, in multiplicity, it just expresses a multitude of otherness. So when I find myself enraged or disgusted or, you know, whatever response that we might have to something that is deeply offensive to our sensibility, to my sensibility, I'll, I'll speak personally the moment I notice that I'm having that reaction and at least intellectually I understand the futility of following that as a pathway you know following rage and outrage because it it, it's just an echo chamber it just loops on itself it doesn't actually resolve itself the the inevitable conclusion of of following rage is the the desire to destroy another the only way that i can really reconcile r- rage at the um at the expressed end of it is to somehow remove the the source of that rage outside of myself and that's just not a sustainable approach to happy living one of the foundational spiritual precepts that was presented to me at a very early age was that 
in order for me to be truly free, I must learn how to take full responsibility for all reactions that I have to everything outside of me. And I loved it because it was just, it just cleared all of this noise and made it very clear about what the pathway was for me to feel happy. I've got to take responsibility. And so I took that on very earnestly and went on a very long, intense journey of learning how to negotiate feeling so enraged by things and discovering love in it. So to cut to the chase, what I, what I learned was that the only way that I could genuinely feel love for something that I had dis- a, a, a sort of an initial reaction of disdain for was to recognize the potentiality of me being like them. And there is the potentiality for each of us to be anything had we incarnated into a particular environment with particular parents exposed to different particular conditions that could sculpt our our personality and our value system to the extent that we could justify doing what we would deem as terrible things and for them a natural response according to their sensibility, based on how they were brought up, conditioned. And over time, I was like, okay, well, yeah, if I was brought up like that, like, what's the story? What's their backstory? And often I'd make up a backstory to try and understand how someone could come to be like that and do things like that. And there's always a story. And there's always a reason. It's, you know, in some instances, there are those individuals that are incarnated with that, that orientation towards destruction. But generally speaking, it's behavior that's learned, that's passed on. So when I am able to see myself and another and go, okay, well, this is, this is where you're at on your journey. And I consider myself to some, uh, I consider myself to be somebody who's had many lives. I go, well, I can guarantee myself that I've done all the things under the sun because I'm at where I'm at now. And I feel like I could only get to be who I am now after having gone through so much to be able to have compassion for that, for those acts, because I've done it myself. What's the mechanism that truly enables me to go, okay, I understand. I don't condone, but I understand. It's like, well, I feel like I could have done that before. I feel like I could have done that before. And it's like, all right, well, this is what happens. Humans go through lifetimes where they're that deeply indoctrinated into destructive ignorance that they behave in terrible ways. 
and then I think about the journey ahead for them in the lifetimes to come and the process of discovery. And I get excited about that. And then I find myself investing energy, wishing them well for their awakening as opposed to wishing for their destruction and their demise. And that happens quite automatically. I'm not actually having to conjure it up in my head. I just find myself naturally going, okay, well, this is the logical, natural process that they're in. Of course, I'm going to wish them well in that because I only got there through the grace of nature's intelligence affording me opportunity to redeem myself out of terrible things that I've done. And we have to ask ourselves here, you know, what is it that we truly desire in this life? What are we, what are we truly wishing for? And surely it, it, you know, as spiritual beings, it should be nothing short of the flourishing of every being, nothing short of the flourishing of everybody. Why would I not wish that for some and then wish it for others? That makes no sense because that only perpetuates the problem because if somebody's not flourishing, then invariably they're going to behave in a way that is desperate and dis in ignorance of what's really important to their, to their soul. And so in wishing the, the, the best for everybody is actually energetically from a frequency standpoint, the most powerful way to cause transformation in somebody rather than hold them to their bad behavior, see them as light behaving badly now and wishing for them to awaken rather than holding them trapped in a judgment in a, in a, in a moment in time as this evil person or this evil thing. And at the very least, I'm liberated from the burden of hate and disdain. At the very least. At the very best, my well wishes are contributing energy to that person waking up. Yeah. Is that helpful? Mm -hmm. Thank you. So we just had a question and the question was, is casting judgment and holding people uh, in the light of their behavior as opposed to the light of their soul something that is learnt or is that, our, is that our nature? Is unconditional love something that is learnt or is that our nature? Which one is it? Is that what you're asking? Yes. yes. So... Unconditional love and compassion is our nature, our deepest nature. That is our instinct when we have resolved the habit of ignoring our power. 
and our place within the universe. When we are conditioned to believe that we are separate from each other and that you are responsible for my happiness, something outside of me is responsible for my happiness, then we are invariably going to cast fierce judgment upon those that behave differently to us that impact our freedom, liberty, and sense of safety, a sense of security and contentment. We are going to have fierce judgments and we're going to want to ostracize them and have them as separate, as far away from us, locked up, <laughs> locked away, so we don't actually have to interact with them. And this is the most unsustainable approach to our own sense of happiness, safety, security, and peace in the world. Sometimes we have to use it as a tactic. We have to employ that kind of action and behavior, but it's not sustainable as a strategy for a species to liberate themselves. We have to learn to understand why people behave the way they do. And then with deep loving understanding, innovate ways in which we can rehabilitate ourselves back into our nature. How do we stop this intergenerational ignorance, ignoring and denying the sacredness of life and our responsibility to each other? How do we break that? How do we innovate ways that can break that cycle? Yeah, that's the, the, the big mission ahead intergenerational ignorance of the sacredness of life. Yeah. Thanks for adding that in. So Flicky has just added a comment that ultimately our judgments of the world really are an extension of our inner reality and our own experience of ourself and what we judge ourselves for or what we choose not to look at within ourselves and project onto others. We may not consciously judge ourselves for us, for it, but it's there and we project it onto others. And this is the foundation of the issue, actually, that you highlight, is that what we're not good with within ourself is what we are not good with outside. And that goes back to the initial point that I was making, because I noticed that. When I was judging, I'm like, okay, well, where am I at? <laughs> and how clean's my backyard? And when I do an audit on that, I always find that there is plenty of improvement that can be made. And I notice that as a theme. And I'm like, okay, well, how about I just take full responsibility for my position here and just invest in love as the immediate response to the best that I can and that has always yielded such a better result. I have experimented with holding grudges. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't yield any kind of result. I always come back to, no, it doesn't matter how bad it is. You know, at the, like I said, at the very least, we can liberate ourselves of the burden of carrying hatred and disdain. And at very best, we can contribute to somebody 
arriving at an awakening. Can I just ask as a follow-up to that, um, what is the role of corrective action? So I guess I'm thinking like two examples, like if you've had something done to you and you know that your journey is to heal from that and, you know, ascend your consciousness and everything else, but then there's also potentially a role required in the world, which is preventing that person causing more harm to others. Yes. Or in, you know, lots of court cases where collective harm's been done and there's like a truth and reconciliation commission and people report so much healing actually coming from pursuing the uh, revealment of that truth, Mm -hmm. even if the people or person who committed it is not the person volunteering that truth, but almost like chasing in it for in a kind of corrective action way. Yeah. I would just be curious about your perspective in that because people report a lot of healing from truth being revealed but is it a false healing or a temporary no no i think that all of these commissions and things and holding people accountable is an act of love ultimately they're just enforcing that people face the noise yeah i i i think i think it'd be a very genuine um catalyst for healing i wouldn't say it was the 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 source of healing but it's the, the the gateway to healing beginning beginning, particularly if you know these individuals were violated in a in a violent way that caused deep trauma, and it it requires an acknowledgement, if not by the perpetrator, but by the system that holds the perpetrator accountable. It gives them a sense of security, safety that they've been acknowledged and that they've seen, and it's acknowledged that this is not okay then they feel safe enough to begin the, the complex inner work of healing and recovering. We need these moments. Like the indigenous people, they, they did it as a tribe. The elders sit around. Someone's broken a law or violated or done something. There is a whole process that has to go through where you know someone who's been perpetrated gets to be seen and gets to express and grieve and the whole tribe sees it and supports and it was always understood this this process was always understood so i think that all of these kinds of things are really important and so there is a a, a sort of corrective action that is sometimes required despite the inner journey that healing requires yeah yeah Yeah. particularly if there is an awareness that that violation is going to happen again to somebody else so I'd, i'd say it's a responsibility We have a responsibility. Thank you. Thank you for taking some time to listen to the One Giant Mind podcast, and I hope you're getting a lot out of it. If you're somebody that hasn't yet got a regular meditation practice, One Giant Mind offers a couple of ways in which you can make that happen right now. You can go to onegiantmind.com. And have a look at our teacher directory. We've got hundreds of teachers around the world teaching the One Giant Mind Being technique, both in person and online. And if for whatever reason you're unable to get to one of those courses, you could download our free Learn to Meditate app. It's called One Giant Mind. It's got a 12-step course that'll get you started. And if you're already a regular meditator and feel deeply called to bring this beautiful practice into the world, We strongly encourage you to check out our One Giant Mind Teacher Training Academy. We train passionate meditators to become powerful leaders in their community. 
equipped with tools to empower others to know themselves very intimately. We teach a powerful process of how to run a meditation course and facilitate the building and growing of a community. And we would love to welcome you into our global family of teachers. A special thanks to our show producer, Daniel Tucker, a.k.a. Spiritual Trady, our music composer, the one and only Ali Liberman, and all of the One Giant Mind team. <laughs>